Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Uh, And I just saved everyone from having to listen to me like I'm in a tin can because I forgot to turn my mic on. But uh, because now I wear my headphones when we record, I could hear that. So, uh, folks, you if you've been listening for more than a week, you know that we missed an episode last week of a recording and for a very good reason. So um, my mom passed away this week. My, my mom died. I know we say we use these euphemisms. <laughs> she died. And um, if you've been listening for more than a couple of months, you know that my dad died in September. So five months later. Um, and obviously it's been a difficult week (laughs) dealing with that. Um, she died on, so we're recording on Sunday on February 12th. She died on Thursday, February 9th. And, uh, she was, she's been in, in and out of the hospital from her nursing home for the past month, I guess, since December. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little more than a month. And finally they, got released. She was in a couple different hospitals, a little time at the nursing home in between, you know, and then back in the hospital. And now she went back to a different nursing home that was conveniently close to my sister's house, uh, just a couple miles. So my sister could be there every day, which was much better than the one that was in downtown Boston, which was hard for everybody to get to. And, um, but she was rapidly declining at that point. My mom has, she suffered from dementia for the past five years, maybe, I think, was when things started getting, you know, started being obvious that there was something wrong. And, you know, she would hallucinate things like, you know, that she had a dog and, you know, or other things like that. And um, she always remembered us. She never, she didn't lose her memory. That's, that's Alzheimer's. She didn't lose her memory, thank God. But she just, you know, had trouble grasping reality and things like that. And she, I, she, she would have problems with short-term memory sometimes. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, a lot of old people like my dad would do the same thing where he would tell a story and then 10 minutes later, tell the same story, not realizing he just told the story. Yeah. She would have that. But, um, for about the past month, she's basically just not like every time I saw her, she just wasn't there. Like she was semi-conscious and kind of out of it. And she was, Suffering, I mean, she was suffering, and so, uh, and she's eighty-five. She was born in nineteen thirty-two, so, right? No, third. That was my dad. Was thirty-two. She was born in nineteen thirty-eight, so she was eighty-four. Um, and uh, yeah, because my dad would have been ninety this year, this past December. Sorry, I'm a little out of it, <laughs> but um. So she was not well on last Tuesday, uh, all of my, my brothers and my sisters and I gathered in her 
nursing home room with her. They had told us on Monday, they told us she'd have 24 to 48 hours. So we all got in there on Tuesday and spent the day there. Uh, Bella and Ben came with me, which was nice. Um, but I had to, knowing what was coming, I had to get back to work so I could catch up on things in preparation for the days I would have to take off for the funeral and that sort of stuff. So I, I went home and then Thursday morning we got the word that it would be any time. And uh, so I started praying the rosary. Um, I had a difficult time praying <laughs> just out loud myself. So I got the rosary army app that Greg and Jennifer Willits have where they, it's an audio rosary. And so they were, had them praying the sorrowful mysteries and I was praying along with that. And in the middle of that is when I got the message from my sister that she's gone. And uh, I'm glad that I was praying the rosary for her at, at the time that it happened. Um, my poor brother was, had been racing to get there from his house an hour away and was 10 minutes away when, when she died, which was the same thing that happened to him with my dad. He was 10 minutes away <laughs> when my dad died. Poor John. So the uh, the wake will be tomorrow night, um, the, as Monday night. The funeral will be on Tuesday, Valentine's Day, and uh, sort of appropriately, um, you know, the day day for love, and um, at Saint Timothy's in Nord Mass. And uh, so um, I would appreciate your prayers for my mom. And for my family, it would be greatly appreciated. Last Sunday. It would be ironic if my brother Timothy had, my brother and his wife were expecting their first baby. Due this week. Due this week. It would be ironic if we were at St. Timothy's at the time when the The baby was born. born. (laughs) That would be ironic. So um, last Sunday when we were at Mass, I felt this strong sense during the Mass, this prompting of just thoughts about my mom and sort of a coalescence of the things I think about my mom and what I would want to say about her. And um, when I got home, I hurriedly wrote it down because it was very present. I just want to read it quick. Is that okay? If I could I read it quick for folks. Um, Cause it was about her faith. That was one of the things that sort of defined, I think one of the things that defined my mom. And uh, so let me just read it. And then I'll say a few words afterward. Um, I don't intend to canonize my mother, but to remember her in all the many ways she pointed us all toward Christ, even in the midst of the sufferings and trials and mistakes and triumphs and joys of life. Her life's legacy is in her five children and their spouses and her grandchildren and now her grandchildren's spouses and her beloved friends. Her legacy is the faith we carry, the faith she handed on to us. What missionary in a foreign land would not recognize the profound witness of faith that she gave us? Virginia's life was challenging from the start. She was at times separated from her father for extended periods, and we actually just recently found a letter she wrote him during one of those times, showing her love for and longing for her dad. And then he died when she was only seven, and she was an only child, and so her world was often just her books and toys. But as a mother, she worked hard to give us what she didn't have as a girl, including the love of a big family, but also many experiences. She took us on vacations, and even until very recently, would talk about her plans to take the grandkids to Disney World. 
that was her big thing. She just wanted to take the kids to Disney World. She loved to take us to restaurants and let us experience all kinds of foods, often to the frustration of my dad, who would be like, why are you spending money on res- restaurants? But she also understood the essential truth that comes from breaking bread together, that in gathering around the table, we bring love and find love. Around many tables, we experience not just food, but joy. I cannot count all the times that a meal was followed by an hour or more of laughter and stories. In fact, I would say one defining characteristic of our family is that in the face of life struggles, our response is often joy and laughter. And I think that's due to my mom. One of the, so that's what I wrote. Um, and one of the things I was think, thinking about later on is that day on Tuesday when I was there with my brothers and sisters is how often, even in the midst of keeping vigil for my mom as she passed, we had laughter. We, we were laughing about The Office, the TV show. We were laughing, you know, telling stories and remembering funny times. And I think my mom, I think if she was aware of us, I think she would have appreciated that. My mom loved it when we would sit around and just tell stories and laugh. That's what Bella said. She said, I hope that grandma was hearing all the laughter because that would have just made her really happy. Yes. And there will be tears as you as this episode goes out on Tuesday. The funeral will have been completed. There will be tears between now and then, mine included. There have been I've had tears already, but there will be laughter and joy as well as we remember, and and I think that is part of her legacy, but also the legacy of her faith. I mean, I don't want to discount. Uh, she had five children, and all five of her children are, are uh, you know, solid, faithful Catholics. We are all, you know, strong and deep in our faith. Faith is, an, is the most important part of our lives, and um, that is a huge deal, and that is her faith that she gave to us. Um, and that's why I said, you know, what missionary could, could claim more? I mean, she, she's not only her, you know, her faith, not even just our faith, but all of her grandchildren and her, you know, future great, or she still actually has great grandchildren. My, my niece Mary has kids, you know, and it's just, she has this legacy, this, flag she has planted for Christ at the head of this chain of, you know, fam of a family tree that will descend from her and that faith will be passed on from us to them, you know, starting with her. And that is a big deal. So my mom wasn't a saint. She would never have claimed to be. She had her struggles and her, um, her faults and failings, but, um, but saints did too. But I'm not claiming her to be a saint like others. My hope and prayer is that she will, if not yet already be there, having done part of her purgatory here on earth, that she will soon be in the beatific vision with the saints and become one of them in the communion of saints. So I ask for your prayers for her, that uh, we can celebrate that day together, um, someday together. Uh, So... Missing my mom. And uh, it's been a tough couple of years for us. Someone on the Discord channel, the Starquest Discord, 
uh, asked me if I could talk about my strategies and methods of emotional resilience, you know, how I remain resilient in the face of obstacles and struggles. And I'm like, I don't have anything to tell you. I don't, I don't have strategies. I just have, I have my faith and I struggle. I'm not going to tell you that, that I don't have doubts or struggles or pain, or sometimes I just feel like crawling up in the corner or, uh, you know, whatever. I just, I have my family that I've got to take care of. I've got you all, the people that I serve through StarQuest that I, that I have, uh, I feel an obligation to, 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 to bring you the things that you all enjoy and that, that edify you and raise you up. I have God that I'm serving and my faith, you know, I just, I don't know if I'm emotionally resilient, but I just, I just keep going forward. Um, I have, I keep my sense of humor about me. And I mean, that's about it. I mean, I, I frankly, I have a lot to learn about emotional resilience. I think, I don't think I do very well with it in general, you know, just in, in private and personal, I could do, I could be doing better, but um, yeah, it's been a tough, a tough couple of years, but we're hopefully, hopefully we're coming out of it. <laughs> I mean, I know it's trite to say uh, there are people who have so much worse, but I, I look at it and say, how, see how blessed I am because there is so much blessing in my life that, the struggles and the pains do not seem overwhelming. And I acknowledge everybody loses parents. Everybody's parents will eventually die. We all will die. And so it, it doesn't shatter me because I mean, I'm lucky enough that my parents died at, after an extended life at you know very old age. My dad was nearly 90 and I got to be with them and we had a good relationship not everyone gets that. And, and, you know, my dad died suddenly kind of, you know, I mean, he had a heart attack. He was 90. So it's hard to say that sudden, but you know, we weren't anticipating anything, but he went to the doctor was getting checked out and keeled over my mom. That was a long, slow process that we saw. And it wasn't sudden. And I, I, I was thinking all this week about the people in Turkey and Syria for whom, you know, it was, you know, in the middle of the night, buildings collapse and then you've lost everything. I mean, that's that suffering. That is tragedy. Or Ukraine or South Sudan or 10,000 places in this world where things are much worse. Um, I, I just count myself blessed that I could have my mom near me, be with her, see her, pray with her. You know, it, it's, it's frankly the ideal way of things happening <laughs> there there are much people have it much worse so i'm i feel blessed in that and i feel blessed by the prayers i've received so many promises of prayers and i feel i felt the prayers and i i do appreciate it so what we've we been cooking just kidding i'm just kidding. <laughs> i am not going to segue you on that um but there have been other things we've been doing. Life goes continues on, and you know I feel, you know, a need to make sure that the kids, you know, they don't have to 
put their lives on hold. They they are going they are appropriately mourning and 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 whatnot. But you know we have things that, that we were going to do and that sort of stuff. So we were we had this past weekend the Scout Klondike Derby, and for the first time, all five of our kids were eligible to go. Um, unfortunately, Sophie didn't feel so well to go, so she ended up not going. But um, the other four went. So Isabella went with her girl troop, thirteen. And the boys went with their boys troop, 56. And Lucy went with her pack because she's a Weeblow this year. And the Weeblows are welcome to come. And so I've, I've talked about the Klondike Derby before last year and the year before. But just as a quick uh, overview, they each group has a sled. It's a it's that got runners huh? that they make, right? Uh, that someone has made. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes the kids inherit. make it. Sometimes uh, an adult makes. Sometimes they inherit it from a previous year. Yes, they inherit it from another troop, and so it's a. It looks like a dog sled. That's the idea, and oftentimes it's made from like the, the Lucy's. The one that they had was was a red. What was it? The 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 metal and woods old metal and wood sleds. Red rider, not red rider. That's the BB radio gun. flyer. Radio flyer. Thank like you. The, the wagon. Like the wagon, except the radio flyer sleds. The, the, they have the, the old-fashioned metal runners. When you think of s- snow sled, this is the what the image you come to your mind. Okay, so built on top of it was this contraption with uh, that you could put things in, you know, like to hold stuff, and a place to hold it on the back. And then there's a rope on the front that, you know, the kids all pull it. And then the someone sends the back and steers it. Um, Lucy's den, her what they have a their name. Each each group has to have a name, and her name her den is the uh, fabulous flaming frogs. Uh, that was the uh, name they came up with, and so Lucy came up with the patrol or den cheer, which is uh, watch us burn, which is <laughs> so Bettinelli. Uh, all, all the adults got a, had a kick out of it every time our kids did, our, our, our den did that um, they did win best decorated sled there were 700 people there by the way Wow, it was the largest Klondike in a long time so the way it works is there's all these different stations that they have to go to throughout the day they rotate through and they and, have to pull their sled to every station exactly and they have to do things like you know pretend to do an ice rescue they're not really in the ice they're on a big field but they have like someone who's out pretend on a floating sled in the middle of the broken ice and they have to toss them a rope and pull them in or the sled lift where they have pulleys and they have to lift the sled off the ground and the water carry where they have to carry a bucket a five gallon bucket full to the rim with water and carry through an obstacle course without with spilling as little water as possible fun yeah the, 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 and like there were different tasks depending on the ages like so the older kids did some the younger kids did others that they could do and then there was the bb gun range which was good and lucy be in the dead eye again. It's good. Yep. They were, it was good. And so, um, there's a lot of walking. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, t- we were all tired by the end of the day. And, uh, I, every chance I took, I sat and read a book, read my book while they were doing their tasks. Yeah, ben was still exhausted today. Yeah. They were all pretty tired. And at the end of the day, there's a big sled race where, um, they do it by age group. So like the, the Weeblos race against each other. And then the, um, the older kids race against each other and I missed Lucy's race. Like we got done early. And so I'm like, I'm going to go sit down in, in the van and just rest for a few minutes and read my book. And then uh, when it's time for the race, I'll come over. And I, Bella comes over and goes, so how did Lucy do? I'm like, what? I'm waiting for the race to start. They're done. <laughs> Oops. Bad dad. <laughs> 
Um, they didn't. Yeah, they were. They were. They weren't going to come in close anyway. But um, but they. Yeah, they won the best decorated sled. Uh, Bella's um, the three girls. So they only had three girls for their sled. I mean, some of the sleds, like the boys, they had like twenty kids <laughs> pulling this one sled uh, and doing all the the tasks. But the girls, they got third place in something. One of the events, which is pretty good for just having three girls. So um, I think it might have been the fire starting one. In any case, uh, it was a beautiful day. You know, it was cool. It was like 30s, low 40s, but brilliant sunny day, which was nice. Um, not as cold as it has been. If it had been last Saturday when we had negative nine, I'm not sure they would have held it. They might have canceled it. I think it. they might have canceled that, that, that. That's dangerously cold, even for scouts. Yeah, that was that was really <laughs> brutal, brutal. It was, well, it was negative 10 when I woke up that morning and um, that's as cold as I ever remember it being around here. We had negative nine ten years ago. I saw online uh, uh-huh. in my memories where uh, the one where I threw the boiling water in the air and it crystallized, be- froze before it hit the ground. Right. Anyway, so that was the Klondike. Uh, Sophie and I had a very quiet day at home. Um, yeah, we went to Whole Foods. Actually, she she got a little second wind and uh, she was vacuuming when I got up because there wasn't because I wasn't up to give her screen time. so <laughs> And there was no one else to talk to. There was no one to talk to, so she just got out of the vacuum and started vacuuming. <laughs> that got you up. <laughs> I wasn't really able to get back to sleep, but... After I, we left? After you left. Yeah. I just kind of lay in bed and read and hoped I would fall asleep and didn't. Right. Yeah. But quiet day. You guys even washed the kitchen floor. We, we Yeah, so, so Sophie vacuumed the living room and dining room and hall... And I think the bathroom, too. And then when I got up, I asked her to vacuum the kitchen and then the two of us scrubbed the floor. (laughs) She should get her home alone board more often. Right. (laughs) So that's good. Um, All right. And one thing is uh, we we did they did have a quarter of honor for the scout troop a couple weeks ago that we missed because the kids were sick. We were like all sick, so no one. We didn't go to that, unfortunately. Which is the second court of honor we've missed. We've really got to get to one of these courts of honor so that they can get their rewards and their merit badges and their ranks. And uh, anyway, so let's talk about food. Uh, coincidentally, uh, that involves the court of honor. We it's a potluck. It was going to be a potluck dinner, and I was planning to bring ribs, pork ribs. Um, I had this recipe for indoor barbecue ribs. Uh, so I, you know, I prefer to obviously make them on the smoker, the outside, and you know they come out really well that way. But um, well, around here, I I know there are some people who will get their go out and use their smoker in twenty degree weather or whatever. But it's really hard when it's that cold to keep the smoker at temperature, and you got to be better at it than I am, and I'm not very, I'm not good at it yet. So. When I came across this recipe for indoor barbecue ribs, I, I kind of was, I'm intrigued. So it takes uh, the St. Louis spare ribs and you brine them overnight. Uh, well, no, this was um, brine them for up to four hours. I think it is at least an hour, but up to four hours in, in water, salt, sugar and liquid smoke. So, you know, that little thing you can get of uh, liquid, liquid hickory smoke at the grocery store. Uh, you put put that in there and that. That's what gives it that's the smoky flavor. That's what's supposed to give it the smoky flavor. And then oven rack, 275 degrees. The, I ignored the um, the rub and the barbecue sauce 
recommendations here. They like they have you make a rub and a barbecue sauce, a very simple rub of pepper, garlic, and cayenne pepper and salt. I got out my um, oh, what's it called? Memphis dust. It's a recipe of a of a pork rub from his name is Meathead. Meathead something or other. Um, Probably not his real name. Not not the name his mom gave him. You don't think so? No. Uh, so. Let me see. Uh, Memphis uh, Meathead's last meal ribs. Oh, that's a different recipe for for ribs that he does. Meathead's Memphis dust. Uh, AmazingRibs.com. What is Meathead's name? He's a barbecue hall of famer. Oh, come on. Just trying to. Meathead Goldwyn. Maybe it is his name. Maybe he changed his name. Anyway, he's a famous, you know, barbecue guy. And uh, this Memphis dust recipe really makes a really amazing rub. It is actually really good. And uh, so I use that as the rub on these ribs. And then I, um, for barbecue sauce, I just use Sweet Baby Ray's the from the grocery store. I didn't, I didn't want to go to all the trouble of making barbecue sauce because it was like during the day while I was working. Um, so I didn't want to go, go to that extra effort. So the, um, the ribs themselves, they go in the oven. Um, you uh, 275 on a rimmed baking sheet, then, um, and you just roast them for two and a half hours. Then you brush the meat with a sauce, you know, the, the ribs with the sauce and then put it back in the oven and roast it for two to two and a half hours longer until it's tender. And then you kick it out, b- uh, brush it with more sauce, and then tent with foil and let rest. And then you just cut it up and, and eat. It's not nearly as fall off the bone tender as off the off the smoker. No, it was it was good, but it wasn't quite as as tender. But it it was really tasty. Like yeah. I'm I'm super excited to have this recipe because it means we can have ribs more often. Um, ribs are always on sale we at the yeah, store. We were we were not really sad that um, we didn't have to share. <laughs> yes. So, like I said, this was going to be what we brought to the potluck at the uh, the Scout Court of Honor, and since we didn't have to go because the kids were sick, we just ate the ribs at home and we ate them all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just a. I mean, they were sick, but it was just a cold. It just sounded bad. They, but there's enough where you just shouldn't. You shouldn't go. Public. But but they had a good appetite, so it wasn't like they yeah appreciate the rubs. Yes, it was. Yeah, that was good. So the indoor barbecue ribs. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then uh, the other recipe we had was just the simplest recipe. I've never made it before, though. Filipino chicken adobo. Right. So. Chicken adobo is like the national dish of the Philippines, right? It's the one everyone thinks of when they think of Filipino cuisine. I'll take your word for that because I don't actually have anything in head when I think of Filipino (laughs) cuisine. I know nothing about it. Okay. So um, it's probably the most famous Filipino dish out there. So the way that it's it's so simple. It's bone-in chicken thighs, okay? You toss it with some soy sauce and, and then refrigerate it for up to an hour. Then you put the chicken skin side down. So you still have to have the skin on it in a skillet and, and you reserve the soy sauce. And then you put the skillet over, you know, on the heat and cook until the chicken skin is browned. Okay. Now, while you're doing that, you whisk together coconut milk, cider vinegar, garlic, bay leaves, 
and pepper into the soy sauce mixture that you had, um, you know, been marinating the the chicken the chicken thighs in. So when the the chicken is done, you know, seven to ten minutes, the chicken the chicken skin is browned. You put that to the uh, to a plate, discard the fat that's in the skillet, you return the chicken to the skillet, skin side down again, then add the coconut mixture and bring it to a boil, and then you simmer it over over low for twenty minutes, reducing it. And keep then you flip it, the chicken skin side up. Keep cooking until the chicken is done, and maybe another fifteen minutes. And then transfer the chicken to the platter. Remove the bay leaves. You're supposed to skim any fat off the surface of the sauce, but it's usually very little fat anyway. I mean, but you know, do what you want. And then you just cook the the sauce until it thickens, and then pour it over, and serve. I mean, so it's only like soy sauce, coconut milk, cider vinegar, garlic, bay leaf pepper and a scallion to sprinkle on the end. What'd you think of the, it was tasty. Everyone loved it. Yeah. I, it was actually tastier than I expected to be be brutally honest for as simple as it was. Yeah. It was pretty darn tasty. I was like, you know, serve it over rice. You pour the sauce on the chicken and the rice and everybody, everybody liked it. Like all the kids liked it. So, um, including Ben, who usually does not like new things. Yes. At all. Yes. It's hard to get him to try new things. So if he liked it, and I think the simplicity is part of it, um, the, why he liked it, it wasn't had the complex flavors and all kinds of spices and stuff like that. Um, yeah, this is a definite, it's, it came together quick and it's a definite makeover, make again. You know, I will, we always have the, all these ingredients in the pantry. Yeah, so this is this is the sort of thing that if we've got chicken thighs in the in the freezer or in the fridge, we can make this whenever. I've started buying soy sauce online in big gallon jugs because <laughs> at this point, between the soy sauce wings and all the various you know Asian dishes that we make, I go through a lot of soy sauce these days. <laughs> so I just like I'm just gonna buy the big jug. It's a little bit ridiculous. It is a little. It does feel a little bit ridiculous, but. It's actually been pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad we have it. All right. So that's what we've been eating. Let's uh, let's talk about things we've been uh, reading or watching. I finished the Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson. So I finished the Hero of Ages. That was long. <laughs> it was a long trilogy. Now, that the first thing I'll say about it is... Um, it felt too long. There were times where I'm like, you could cut a lot of this out. Um, however, it was a really interesting meditation or musing or th- philosoph- philosophizing about religion, the place of religion and faith um, and trust. It was a complex story. There were lots of things that were seemed to be throwaway things from the first book that were vital clues to the ending. Um, it and Brandon Sanderson's Mormon, and you could really see the fingerprint of Mormonism, the thought in Mormonism in this, the way um, it approaches religion and humanity. And good and evil and dualism and some things like that. Uh, you could really see that in there. Not so much that it was, you know, 
annoying or difficult to read as a Catholic or anything like that. Uh, but if you know anything about Mormonism, you can see its fingerprints in the way he sees things um, and the way he approached it. And it really does. It, it was good, but I can really see how he has matured as a writer in the past 15 years uh, to his you know current stuff. Um, the, the stuff he's writing now is, is definitely better. Uh, I could, so I could this see was this an earlier. One of this was, I, this was like 2005. I think it, I, I'm not sure if it was his first work, but it was early on in his, in his career. Um, let me see. In fact, Brandon Sanderson, uh, books. And, uh, let me see. It wants me to take me to his website. No, he had he had at least one book earlier than 2005. There was one called, in 2004 called Elantris. But um I'm trying to see if there's anything else. Uh, he, he's prolific. He has written a lot of stuff. Uh, but I don't see anything that predates Elantris. And um, so in, in any case... Um, so he has really matured as a writer, I, I would say. And, and in fact, his Stormlight Archive series, which I recently, which is pretty new. Although actually, he started that in 2010. Now that I look at it, the the date, which was right after the end of the Mistborn trilogy, and it's really, I wouldn't say it's similar. Like I wouldn't say it's the same, but there there are a lot of similarities, and it's, I'm curious that he that this that he did that um like right the next thing um there's a he has this how do i put it this conception of of all of his his worlds that he's created um his imaginary worlds that he calls the cosmere and they're all somehow related they're all connected um like like alternate dimensions and stuff where where it's not always clear how but um yeah. Apparently he's continued to write in this world, the Mistborn world. Um in fact there's a book that came out last year. Yeah, so um I'm gonna have to look those up and see and see those. Hopefully they're not as long. <laughs> um but I am doing well in my Goodreads challenge this year. I have five books completed already. Um, what was your challenge again? I I did tw- um twenty three books. So in the past, so I've been doing the the annual Goodreads. So Goodreads dot com, we you know you can it's all about books and stuff like that. It's owned by Amazon, but you can do a, an annual reading challenge where you set your a goal for how many books you want to read. And some people don't like that because it feels too too much pressure, too much stress. But the number, but for some of us, the the gamification, you know, keeps us keeps us motivated. Uh, but in 2015, my goal was 30 books. I read 32. In 2016, my goal was 32, and I read 32. In 2017, my goal was 35, and I read 35. And then in 2018, my goal was 35, and I read 31. 2019, my goal was 35, and I read 30. You can see the trend. Uh, although in 2020, my goal was 35 books, and I read 43. 2020 was the year of the Dresden Files. Right, right. Uh, but then in 2021, I only read 22. And then in 2022, I only read 21. So but things were going backwards. Um, 
I started reading Twitter again, following Twitter again in 2021. Uh huh. So I said, nope, I'm done. I'm not. I, and frankly, now that Twitter has gone off the deep end, I'm decided that's that's a sign. I'm going to go back to spending my free time reading instead of looking at Twitter. And so um, I'm on. I'm on a good pace. I'm on pace to read 22 by June. Never mind. Um, you know, the end of the year. And then you have people like Jeff Miller who reads 200 books a year. Right. He does audiobooks on 2X, just so you know. Like that's how that's how he gets a lot of these books in. I don't how I I cannot Yeah. I cannot handle I, I don't criticize him for that. Speak. I mean that's that's still reading, but Yeah, that's uh <laughs> astonishing. So, that's what I read. Um how about you? Um so I've been continuing to read Diane Twain's Young Wizards. Like I started at book five and I guess I'm going through the end of the series. I don't think I'm going to go back and read the first ones, although maybe I will. Again, which you've already read those. I've already read them all. This is all a reread of the series. Um, And so I I finished A Wizard's Holiday and Wizards at War. I I feel like the, the first five books are the strongest in the series. And after that, like these later books, they're okay, but they're not as good. Um, I feel like the world building gets a little bit muddied, hmm. watered down. Um, like the mythology gets a little stretched. Right. But there's some great characters. Like I love a lot of the characters that she introduces in the later books. So I read them like primarily because I like the characters. Like I really like the character of Roshan, who's like the heir apparent ruler of his planet. And mm-hmm. so when Dayreen, Nita's sister, first meets him, she's like, who is this arrogant jerk? <laughs> and he's just, oh, he's horrible. He's so full of himself. And then he turns out to be, like, eventually a great character. And I really love that character transformation. So there's there are things worth reading in the later books. Um, anyway, I'm also, along with the Goodreads podcast, I'm reading The Netanyahu's by Joshua Cohen, mm-hmm. which is an academic novel. So it takes place primarily on a college campus, and it's based loosely in an actual historic event. Um, but it's about a you know, Jewish university professor named Reuben Blum, and he's the only Jewish faculty member at this university in upstate New York, which is something like a playoff of Carbondale. It's Carbon something or other or Corbin or something. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. obvious. Um, so he's been asked by his uh, dean or, or department chair to sit on a hiring committee uh, that is interviewing um, Ben Zion Netanyahu, who is Benjamin Netanyahu's father. So Ben it's- it's a real person. Ben Zion Netanyahu is a real person. But it's a fictionalized story about him. Yes. Evidently, according to the Close Reads podcast, the story was actually, the, like, the kernel of truth was that the critic and English professor Alan Bloom uh, told this story to Joshua Cohen, that he uh, uh, hired, worked with, Ben Zion Netanyahu for a short period of time. Okay. So there is a truth. Like the Netanyahu family 
came to the U.S. and was hired by an American university, one of the Ivies. I forget which one. Okay. Um, so it's very much a Jewish novel. It is a novel about Jewishness, and it's very funny. Um, very, very funny. Uh, basically, the, the, the hero, the narrator protagonist is very secular. He's not really practicing his faith. Um, he's like a, he's a historian who focuses on tax, like the history of tax law and taxation. Uh-huh. Um, and his wife, there's like all these layers of like his wife's family are more uh, upper class and his family is more working class and his parents are much more like faithful practicing like they won't come for the holiday because there's no um synagogue in his town but the really funny bit so far has been with um the uh he's getting letters like of recommendation the funniest le- what letter recommendation is in chapter five when this professor from the university in Israel is writing saying, I really can't recommend him. He's horrible, but please take him off our hands because we really just want to get him out of the country of Israel. <laughs> it is so funny. Just like I have to be truthful because I couldn't live with myself if I didn't tell you the truth. But please take him anyway. What would you do in my situation? And do they? They do take him. I think they do. That's so funny. I mean, I haven't, I'm like, I'm on chapter seven. I haven't got very, that far into okay. it, but so far, funny. Good. All right. So, and then you're working on a whole bunch of stuff that's yeah, in the middle of. Lots of stuff. It's sort of a February thing, like this, this sort of doldrum you get into, you know, whether, whether it's things we're watching or things we're reading. Although I'm not in a doldrum, but, you know, other people seem to be. Other people. <laughs> I'm, no, actually, I'm reading a lot. I'm just, yeah. I'm not making, because I'm reading so many things, I'm not making headway, finishing things. Yes. Other than the quick, the Young Wizards, which are my like, it's late at night and I'm too tired to read any of my more serious books. So I'm going to, to read. Yeah. I cannot read multiple books at once. That's so funny. When you were in school, you did though, right? Uh, Did I? I mean, textbooks or like nonfiction or like. Novels? I never read no- like more than one novel at once. Really? Like you weren't like reading a novel for your English class plus like one that you were reading for yourself? No. No? I mean, let's be clear. I didn't like when I was taking college level English, I was I did all that at a community college at night school. Uh-huh. Um, and so the it was not heavy lifting and I probably was able to just read whatever the heck I wanted. Um because I expressed interest in reading, which not a lot of the community college kids were. So I would say, can I just read the Lord of the Rings? Sure. Oh yeah. If you're interested in that, I did that a lot. That's probably why I never read the great Gatsby. Probably. Or Moby Dick. Mm. My, my education was woeful. The deep irony. (laughs) The deep irony that I married you. Yes, you ended up with me. I read lots and lots and lots of things. I just didn't read the things I was supposed to. Right. So um, moving on from books before I dig my hole any deeper. (laughs) Let's talk about things we've watched. So last time I talked about that, I was watching the TV show The Last of Us on HBO Max, which everybody seems to be talking about. Um, It's a zombie movie. 
Except I mean, zombie show. Except they're they're very like adamant that it's not a zombie show. Well, it's not. There are zombies in it, but it's not like all you know, about I mean, the gore. They're, they're adamant. I I read an article. They're adamant that they're not zombies. They call them in the infected, and like nobody on the the. The right, the cast and crew are allowed to call them to refer to them as zombies. Of course, they are. They are people who are infected by a mind controlling parasite. Right, um, but but they and yet this I, is the irony is that they act like stereotypical movie zombies. Right. Well, I guess the distinction is zombies are reanimated dead bodies, classically, whereas these are people who are alive. They're not dead but who are completely under the control of uh, of a mind-controlling parasite. Although, Which I think makes the a little bit more body horror when you think about it. I mean, but that actually gets closer to the original Haitian, like, zombies who were not actually... They weren't actually... Dead. To, well... They are under mind-control drugs. Well, yes, yeah. I mean... I mean, they... they under they, some understandings, yes. Some of them were just under mind-controlled drugs. Some of them were were thought to have died and been brought back. That was... Well, yeah, they, they were thought to, but I think that medical science has pretty much agreed that, like, yes. it was just mind-controlled drugs. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World had a two-part episode, a series on like, right. uh, Haitian zombies. Right. Yeah. So, um, anyway, The Last of Us. So you decided to jump in. Yes. So I rewatched the first two so episodes. This is not so the show far. I want to watch by myself alone right. at night, which is when I watch shows because it's way too scary. I need <laughs> you there. Otherwise, I will not end up watching it. Yes. Um, so and, and even even yeah. with you there, part of me is going, why did I agree to watch this? Why did I want to watch this? This is really scary. I mean, there's only so much zombie. Um, sorry, it's, infected in, in the first couple episodes. It's not. It's not the scenes with them. It's the scenes when, when you're, you're waiting, waiting for something to happen. For something to happen. That's what gets my, my oh, heart yeah. racing and my blood pressure. It's not when the actual zombies are on screen. It's waiting. Infected. I'm going to call them zombies. <laughs> I just wanted to make like. I'm just doing it to you because you did it to me. Yes. The. It's not, yeah, it's not when they're actually fighting the zombies right in front of them. It's when you're they're waiting walking, for them. They're walking through the... the which is how all horror movies are. Right. All, all horror movies are about anticipation. Good ones are about the anticipation, not about the gore and the and the, and the scary looking thing. It's the anticipation. If it's about the gore, then it's a slasher film, not a horror movie. Right? Okay, sure. Yeah. I, I would, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, that's why the movie Alien was scarier than Aliens, because Alien was about being on a big spaceship alone with a something coming after you and you're not seeing it. Um, anyway, so the last of us, we watched the first two episodes again. Uh, I watched them again with you. Um, one thing I've realized, cause if, if you remember, I talked about it, the, the first two episodes take place in Boston and I'm trying to figure out where in Boston, this quarantine zone is supposed to be. And I figured out it's actually at least can, can at least contain some of Boston's North end. Cause they have this scene where they're, um, the government is executing people who have committed crimes and there's a sign for North square for SQPN folks. If you came to the, um, uh, what is it called? CNMC Catholic New media conference in Boston in 2011, we went to mass on Sunday at sacred heart church in the North end of Boston. That's North square. So you actually were there. So you, uh, although they're playing really fast and loose with Boston geography. So oh yeah. 
She snuck into a mall, quote unquote, in the quarantine zone. I'm like, there is no mall anywhere near the north end of Boston. Well, like we were trying to figure out like their path as they're walking through the city. And we're like, how do they get from there to there to there <laughs> they got to, to the there. north end to South Boston to the Southeast Expressway? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> they they were. I mean, it looks like futuristic demolish boston they oh, did a yeah. good job with that like like it very much feels like boston and looks like boston but it's very the path that they follow is all over the like place. there's there's no like nobody sat down with a map and traced out a, re, a reasonable <laughs> path through boston yeah yeah no. so that's small potato soot um i do want to mention that between the last time i talked about this and now they had the third episode which is much talked about and there's some content in that that some may find objectionable. Um, I will watch it with you. It'll be okay. I mean, it's not, uh, it's, um, but, you know, it, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to spoil it. Right. You'll be fine. You you won't, you know, you'll be okay. But I know that some people were, were kind of upset by it. So, but you'll be fine. It's it's nothing that you, that you have to worry about. I'll talk, we'll talk about it when later. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're behind though. We have to catch up because there's this two more episodes that come out, and I'm like, well, if it were just me, I would have already watched them. Right. Now another one, I must have. Like, well, no, another one came out this week, but maybe not tonight because it's the Super Bowl. Then maybe that's why it came out earlier this week. So, um, in any case, we got to get caught up. Yeah, I'm. I'm not really watching anything else though. I'm watching my regular shows that I watch. Uh, I I watch uh, SWAT and I watch, what else do I watch? Um, You know, I watch the stuff for Secrets of Star Trek and Secrets of Doctor Who, obviously. I watch those. And I've been watching Stargate SG-1, which I'm really enjoying. I haven't watched Stargate in, since it was first on. So in a couple decades. So it's, I, I really Remember how much I love that show. I remember why now. Um, we watched The Rookie. That's what we, you know, you and I have been oh, watching yeah. that. Well, and we watched The Bad Batch, uh, which oh, yeah. we're, we're going to talk about in a second. Um, the other thing I've been watching is I continue to watch Willow. And boy, does that feel like. It feels a lot like Xena Hercules style mythology. Uh-huh. Modern people in an ancient setting or a fantasy setting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not I mean there's nothing objectionable per se about it it's just it's not that good it's sad to say but anyway uh okay so the bad batch right I actually really enjoyed it they released two episodes this week and so we watched those back to back with the kids mm-hmm. um the first of those two did not have the bad batch in it at all right not not a single appearance of any of them. There were familiar characters from Star Wars, but F- from Rebels, in well, Clone Wars. Well, in prequels, I mean Senator Organa, right? He was in it, and uh, Rex, who is from Clone Wars, the series, right? Uh, and also from the prequels, but he had a small role in the prequels. So there was some of that. Um, yeah, it felt actually very much like sort of. A Clone Wars. It was a Clone Wars episode. episode. Yeah. It was like a Clone Wars episode after the Clone Wars ended. Right. The characters were basically. And if, in fact, that's what we were talking about before we started is how how much the Bad Batch feels like a continuation of the Clone Wars series. 
Right. Like they're what what's really they're really interested in telling is the story of what happens to the clones. When the war is over, the Empire is here, how do we get from a, an army of clones to an army of stormtroopers? Yeah. And and the clones who the the clone wars show made us care about as people. Like they Right. The clone wars who are show, good people. show showed us like that although they're all clones, every one of them is a unique individual with an interesting story and an interesting perspective, and they are not the same. Right. They're not just robots. They're not droids. They're people. And, and, and how do we, you know, and what happens to these good people who were programmed to kill the Jedi and to turn on the Republic and create the Empire? And what happens to them when their utility to the Empire is done? And, where have they all gone by the time A New Hope starts? Right. These are these are all questions that I'm hoping Bad Batch will help will answer. We'll see. Right. I'm I'm liking that about it. I'm liking that they're kind of pushing forward and exploring more about the characters. Um mm-hmm. and more of the story, the sort of filling in the gaps. And taking chances. I mean they're they're doing things, they're not just by the numbers, like some folks were complaining that the first few episodes of the season were sort of like episodic and they felt like filler, like the you know mission of the week that weren't wasn't advancing the overall story arc, although one or two of them did like the one with um, Crosshair did. I, I felt like they did feel like they were kind of filling in, but I'm kind of also expecting that we're going to come back to them and see that they were laying some important groundwork for later stories. Right. And it's a long season. There's like 20 episodes, which is fairly long for a a modern streaming series these days. So they got time. Right. And the Clone Wars like often had episodes where they just kind of took a little side trip. (laughs) All the Jar Jar ones, basically. Right. (laughs) Um, But there are quite a few that were just. Yes. Exploring the world. And exploring the characters, but not advancing the overall plot. Yeah. No, that's that's true. So I, I think, yeah, it's really enjoyable. And it feels complex for an animated show. I mean, this has always been the, 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 the you know, what we say about the Clone Wars was the same thing. Is it started as a kid's show, but it really became, you know, a show in, that may be animated, but it has complex storylines and characters. Um, and frankly, made the prequels better for for having telling that story, you know, better. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, it's it's fascinating to think about the possibilities and where they're going to go. We know where that where things end up. We know where a new hope begins. Right. How do we get there? And that's the question that they have to answer is how we get to a new hope or to rebels or to, you know, whatever to. um not Andor, uh, Rogue One. That was the other one. Like, how do we get there? So, uh, the Bad Batch. So, um, let's finish off talking a little bit about this week's gospel readings. This was the the interesting one where Jesus steps up and says, you know, in the gospel Matthew Matthew five seventeen to thirty seven, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. Not one letter is going to be abolished. Um, uh, I, you know, I am the fulfillment of the law. 
which was a response to some who were saying that Jesus was trying to replace the law and the prophets, you know, the Torah, the stuff that the, the Pharisees were preaching. But um, then he goes into specifics. He, you know, he, he says a lot of these, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Right. Which is kind of similar to some things he says around the Beatitudes. You know, this, this is what you were told before. This is the minimum. I'm telling you, the, you must do the max. It's, I, when we were doing the Bible study, remember the years ago, the Bible study, uh-huh. the min-max. That's what I always talked about was the min-max. And the minimum is you shall not kill. And whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I mean, that's, that's, that's changing the bar. And, and then he talks about adultery and, and lust, and he talks about divorce and then false witness. And the deacon at, at mass today, Deacon Paul, Mm -hmm. he was talking about how it basically boils down to the, these, the, the big sin is killing, right? Don't, don't murder someone. Okay. But being angry with your brother is a step on the path to murder. Right. Like what makes you, what gets you to the point of wanting to kill someone? You start off by being angry with them. That's right. the first step on the path to killing, which actually made me think about um, the show that we watched Inside Man. Um, because that was sort of the thesis of that show. If, if, you, if the show could be said to have a thesis is everyone is a potential murderer. Everyone has the capacity for evil in their heart. I mean, this is part of the broken nature of humanity, right. the original sin. Um, and so Jesus is, I mean, this is, it was really straight up. Like, this is what Jesus says. If you are angry, you are. You're stepping on a path. You're, you're heading down that path towards maybe not going to kill them, but you're. Mm, anger leads to hate. Hate leads <laughs> to suffering. Right. I mean, that's Yoda wasn't wrong. Right. So what what's the decision that leads to. Uh, to killing or what's the decision that leads to adultery? You know, it's when you start to look at somebody who's married to someone else or you're married while you're married, your eye starts to wander. Then that's that's a step. Right. And what Jesus is saying is we need to not even take that first step. Right. If you if you're married and you flirt with somebody who's not your spouse, that's that's that may not be adultery, but it's certainly not it's it's not virtue. And it's not fidelity. <laughs> it's not fidelity. It's vice and hitting towards sin. You know, and vice and sin comes out of a habit. You start doing things. Virtue, likewise, comes out of a habit. You build up virtue, but you also build up sin, you know, proclivity to sin, sinfulness, or the occasion of sin, which is the classic term that we use in Catholic morality, is if you keep putting yourself in the occasion of sin, you will sin. If you choose to entertain violent thoughts, you're setting yourself onto the walking the path of violence. And the more you do that, the more you become a violent person. Right. Like we say, you know, the person is not the sin, but if you continue to give yourself to it over and over again, it becomes much more habitually your nature 
and not just a thing that you do, but a thing that you are doing, a thing that you become. Right. You become a murderer or an adulterer. But then, but then the deacon also said that we also have the ability then to choose to follow the commandments, to choose love. And the more we do that, the more we set our feet onto the path of virtue and love, the more we became a person who is virtuous, a person who is righteous, a person who loves. Right. Jesus says in the gospel, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The path, like just, oh, it's only a little sin. You know, it's like, it's only a little bit of vice, only a little bit of lack of virtue. Sure, and and maybe it's not sin yet, but you're headed there. You know, sin is is a, something you will it. You it's grave matter. You know it's grave matter, and you will it. You do it intentionally, with you know with your free will. So you know it may not be a sin to to look at someone else. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Jesus is saying it is, but it's certainly not fidelity, and. That you're going in the wrong direction. Um, also, like he, the way he ta- he pulled in then um, the first reading and talking about wisdom. What is wisdom? Yeah, what is wisdom? Right. Um, and then I have to mention that he he formed his homily around one of our favorite shows from a couple of years ago, The Queen's Queen, Gambit. The Queen's Gambit, yeah. Um, Which... She had wisdom about chess, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't really mention that her other life choices were not wise. Right. In fact, she frequently is, is heading down the paths of of vice and sin. Yeah. But he was making the point about how she learned chess and each step forward, you know, she, she learned more and became wise in the ways of chess, which led to the path of victory. Right. What did you say was the definition of wisdom again was wisdom is, um, ex- uh, experience becoming understanding. Uh, so it's knowledge of what is true and right, coupled with judgment on how to act. Right. So it's not just wisdom is not just knowing like knowledge is knowing what's good, right. knowing what's right. But wisdom is knowing is, what to do with that is, is also the judgment on how then to implement that, how to choose, how to decide. Right. You can have lots of book learning, but if you don't know, how to apply that, you're not wise. You're just smart. Right. You're knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was very good. Con- very convicting. You know, the whole, you know, if, if uh, the, I always, you know, if you're angry with your brother, you know, you if you bring your gift to the altar and recall there, recall that your brother has anything against you. It's an interesting phrasing. If your brother has anything against you, not like if you've got something, if you're holding a grudge against your brother. If your brother has a reason to be angry with you, leave your gift, go reconcile with him first. Right. That, that thing's, or you'll be cast into Gehenna. Yeah. <laughs> the deacon kept calling it Gehenna. It's Gehenna. It's a hard G, but it's okay. I'll give him that. Um, yeah. Really good. Really good this week. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like there should be some pronunciation guidelines given to uh <laughs> to deacons. <laughs> deacons and lectors. 
Well, they actually have them. They, they, there's a book. You get a workbook as a lector. You're supposed to read it, and it's supposed to give you hints on how to pronounce things and stuff. It's, I don't think most lectors don't look at it. Why not? Because, you know, you're just going to read it, right? Like the We have one lector at our, our parish who he's got a very strong accent, and he's like a Boston accent, and he very often mispronounces things. I also wonder if he's he's dyslexic because he just sometimes mixes things just like doesn't really read like he reads the first syllable of the word and then guesses at what the word is going to be. And he often guesses wrong. (laughs) It makes for some interesting (laughs) readings. One of our kids is dyslexic. So we I spend a lot of time with dyslexic reader recognizing the patterns of like reading the first bit and then guessing as to the rest. Like this happens a lot. So it kind of feels like he's very calm. The reader is a good reader. He's competent. But when he gets to those big words, those hard words, he just kind of takes a stab at it rather than sounding it out. Right. Right. Um, Which it's clear. He hasn't read it in advance to figure out what it actually says. Right. If you're a lector, read ahead of time. Read aloud ahead of time. Actually, that's one thing I always did was I wanted to make sure I read it aloud so that I heard myself saying the words. It's too easy to kind of lead your way through a reading in your head. Yeah. You got to say it aloud so you know, like, oh, wait, I'm going to stumble over that. Yeah, you got to hear it in your voice. I do that with with Mysterious World because we often, with Jimmy, he often has big, long words and foreign language words and I have to like sound it out ahead of time. And even then you so many bloopers. There's so many times where Jimmy has to stop me. He's like, okay, start again. (laughs) You stumbled over that one. Just, just start it again. I'm like, okay, Uh, sorry. It's like, it's okay. We should, we should make sure Isabella practices since she's going to read one of the readings on Tuesday. She's reading one of the readings at my, my mom's funeral from wisdom. Uh, It's just, Yeah. I'm going to have to print that out, give it to her, make sure she reads it aloud to herself. All right, that should do it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Stephanie D., Juana L., Randall B., Adam H., and Philip M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Remember to like Raising the Bets on the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter at sqpn and leave us comments wherever you find us. We love to interact with you. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.